You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Jeremiah chapter 19. We're going to read the whole chapter and actually go in to chapter 20 through verses 1 through 6. I want to preach to you this morning a message that I've entitled, A Second Chance. A Second Chance. Do you believe in a God of a second chance? What if I told you that you're wrong? You said, that's not true. That can't happen. God always gives us a second chance. And my question to you is, are you willing to bet your soul on it? What if you're wrong? In today's Bible passage, many of the Jews believe because of their ancestry and nationality, they were impervious to God's judgment, that they literally couldn't be judged. They thought because of their great-great-great-grandfather Abraham, who was an immense man of faith, and that because God stationed His temple in their city, that God could not help but bless His, quote, chosen people, no matter how they behaved with His name. I want you to go ahead and get this deep in your soul early in this message. Nothing can substitute for personal trust in Jesus and faithfulness to Him. No matter what you believe about yourself or about our nation or about going to church, God in His great mercy continue repeatedly to reach out to the Jews through the prophets like Jeremiah, calling them to repentance. Please remember this word, repentance. Write this down. Repentance means to change your way of thinking and living. To change your way of thinking and living. If you are persisting in this particular thought, belief, or worldview, repentance calls you to change that. If you're persisting in a particular attitude, uh, lifestyle, or action, or behavior, repentance calls you to change that behavior. And so God is calling His people through the prophets to repentance. Change this way of thinking that just because you have Father Abraham in my temple that you're impervious to my judgment. He demands faithfulness (coughs) from the people that He has saved from slavery in Egypt. My question before you today, it's in front of this text, and it's in front of all of us, is what happens when we reject all God's calls to change? Now please notice what I'm saying. What happens when we reject every attempt 
from God's preachers, His people, to call us to repentance. What happens when we reject all of those calls to change our lives? Let's look at verses 19, 1 through 5 of Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. This is Jeremiah going to speak through the Lord. The Lord going to speak through Jeremiah. He tells Jeremiah this, Go and buy a potter's clay jar. Now, this is a clay pot. The jar that, that Jeremiah probably bought was one that you could fill it full of liquid of any kind or you could pour it out of. It's not to garden with. It was to consume or to contain wine or water. But he says, Go to a potter's Go buy a potter's clay jar. Take some of the elders or the leaders of the people of Judah and some of the leading priests and go out to Ben-Hinnom Valley near the entrance of the potsherd gate. So Ben-Hinnom Valley and the potsherd gate. And proclaim there the words I speak to you. Here's what he's to say to them. Now just imagine Jeremiah has this big old pot underneath his arm. And this is what he tells the leaders of his nation and the spiritual leaders of his religion, Judaism. He says this, Say, hear the word of the Lord, kings of Judah and residents of Jerusalem, who they represent. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of angel armies, the God of Israel says. Now this is important to to know some historical context. This is somewhere around the 600s to 500 B.C. You need to remember in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom of Israel was obliterated by the Assyrians. And it's interesting here. God comes and speaks to the Jews, the people of Judah, and He calls Himself the God of Israel. Now remember, what happened to Israel not long ago, 100 years ago? Obliterated. So the Lord of angel armies, the God of Israel, says, I'm going to bring such a disaster on this place that everyone who hears about it will shudder because they have abandoned me and made this a foreign place. They have burned incense in it to other gods that they, their fathers, and the kings of Judah have never known. They didn't save them. They have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built high places to Baal, this is a false god, on which to burn their children in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. And this is Yahweh speaking. Something I have never commanded or mentioned. I never entertained the thought. What happens when we reject All God's calls to change. What happens when we reject to repent? The very first thing that we see here in the text is that we sacrifice what is precious. Listen to me, church. When we refuse to repent, we sacrifice what is present. Jeremiah, precious. Jeremiah buys this clay jar. He persuades the VIPs of Judah, the one who have power to make public policy, and they go out to this valley called Ben-Hinnom. Everybody say Ben-Hinnom. That's going to become important. Remember this. Ben-Hinnom is a garbage dump. It's the city's landfill. 
It was used for burning garbage and for cremating bodies. And in the middle of this garbage dump, they had erected an altar to Baal. And it's interesting to note, because this will come in later. This is a story. You've got to set it up. They walk in through what gate? You need to stay in the text today. What gate do they walk in through to go to the, the garbage dump? The potsherd gate. This is where, you know how you go to the garbage dump? They're like, here's where you put the papers. You know what I'm saying? Here's where you put the plastics. Over here near this gate, that's where you took all the ruined pottery clay jars and you broke them and put them there. So imagine, he's, they're walking on potsherds as they enter through into this dump. That's going to become important. What is happening to Judah? The Lord of armies, the God of Israel, is going to send such a disaster on him, on them, that everyone who hears about it, all the nations around, will shudder at what God does. It'll make them scared. Why? Because first, God's people, so to speak, the professed people of God, had abandoned Him. The idea is literally they had been unfaithful to Him like when we are unfaithful in our marriages. God had set up a covenant relationship with them. Remember, God saves them from Egypt, delivers them from bondage at Sinai. They become a covenant nation. Please notice this, church. God was good to them ever before the people of Israel were good to God. That's how God in His goodness and loving kindness and mercy works. He saved them and redeemed them. And then when He brought them out, they kind of made vows to one another. We're going to enter into a relationship. And I want you to be faithful to me. And as long as you're faithful to me, you don't abandon me. I'll bless you and you'll prosper in the land. But if you turn your back on me, there'll be consequences. And then the other thing He cites them with or indicts them with is not just abandonment, but they literally made God's country a foreign place to who? God. That God's essentially saying, I know my temple is there. I know my home is there. I know my dwelling place is there, but I'm not there anymore. Because of your attitudes and actions, I've evacuated my temple. I need you to know this. There is nothing for me left in this land. You've become foreign to me. And I've become foreign to you. And what was the reason? The reason was idolatry. They were sacrificing to an object to get what they want. You may want to write this down. When we sacrifice to anything or to anyone to get what we want. Now this is important. Who is the giver of every good gift? God. And we have to learn to be content and satisfied and overflowing with joy with what God gives us and what He withholds from us. We have to ultimately trust that it is for our good. Well, guess what? Sometimes we don't like how God deals with us. And so we'll erect idols. We'll pretend there's false gods that are made in our image so that we can have all the things God promises without the faithfulness. We can have safety, fertility, health, wealth, prosperity, and sacrifice, but I want you in success, but I want you to notice this. Even false gods demand a sacrifice. Ever thought about that? If we know that they're false, that there's nothing really behind them, why is it that they demand vicious sacrifices? 
Because here's what's more important when we follow false God. A sacrifice is a one-time thing. It's not a living God who demands faithfulness from His people every single day. The God of Israel wants our faithfulness, not sacrifices. He wants our obedience, not our confession. That doesn't mean that we're always perfect and we never slip up. That's why God in His grace extends a covering for our sins in Jesus Christ. But the point is this, what would God rather have? He wants you to be faithful to Him day in and day out. But the good thing about a false God is you can sacrifice something else one time and it'll appease Him. I want you to think about the living God. What the living God did for you is he sacrificed his own son. And in response to his son, we sacrifice our lives. Here, what did the false God require of them? They sacrificed who? Their children. What is most precious? See, a living God will say, you lay down your life. A false God will say, lay down everything else that's most precious. That's what false gods do. Can I make this personal? This is the part of the sermon I don't like, but i got to tell you the truth. The United States is not a covenant nation like the people of Israel. But I do want, to, want you to hear me. Even non-covenant nations who didn't enjoy this special marriage-like relationship with God would come under God's judgment because of the shedding of innocent blood. Remember Jonah went to a, a foreign Gentile city, Nineveh, and that country was called Assyria. This was not a covenant nation, but did they still come under God's judgment? Yeah. Did God even in His grace and mercy go out and send a prophet to call them to repentance? Yeah, that's why Jonah hated it. He knew if I'm sending a prophet, there's a chance they might turn around. Here's what I need you to know. While we may not be a covenant nation, we can fall under God's judgment, you and I, especially when it comes to this issue of the shedding of innocent blood. I submit this with gentleness and respect, but every American has blood on their hands. On the altar of women's reproductive rights, we are spilling the blood of innocence every day in our abortion facilities across the country. We want to be great. We want to be good. Tell me, church, how can we be great and good when that goes on? We can't. You know what, that, that's kind of something that we say is the church, that's their problem. We, we don't believe in doing something like that. Let me tell you what else we sacrifice. On the altar of the American dream and the American work ethic, we will sacrifice the poor. We'll sacrifice overworked and underpaid employees. We'll sacrifice immigrants seeking refuge. We'll sacrifice a day of rest. We'll sacrifice time with our families. We'll sacrifice time with this gathering. And we'll sacrifice giving for the spread of the gospel through all the nations. Why? So we can have our money. It will bring God's judgment. There's nothing wrong 
with aspiring for more. There's nothing wrong with the good work ethic. But you better look and see what else you're sacrificing when you do it. On the altar of individual freedom, we sacrifice the sacredness of our bodies made in the image of God and the sweet spiritual intimacy of God's design for marriage so that we can have pornography, sex before marriage, divorce, same-sex marriage, and self-identifying gender. Why? Because it's my right, it's my freedom. And I'm glad we have rights and freedoms, but you better look and see what you're sacrificing in the name of them. On the alternness of happiness and escape. We sacrifice our mental and physical health, our livelihoods, and those who depend on us so that we can have drunkenness, drug addictions, and gluttony. Nothing wrong with some happiness, right? But what are we sacrificing in order to get it? And then in case you're sitting there feeling really good about yourself saying, you know what, I've not done any of those things. On the altar of self-righteousness and morality. We will sacrifice the only gospel. That we are saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. As revealed in scripture alone. To the glory of God alone. It's not of works. No, so that no one can boast. But you know what we'll do? And sacrifice the gospel. We'll trust in never taking a drink. We'll trust in never looking at pornography. We'll trust in always minding our manners, being good citizens of America and missing the kingdom of heaven. I just want you to look at what we might be sacrificing on altars today. No matter what we decide to call them, always remember this church. Anytime you hear a name, especially from a politician, it's good for something else. I think there's a reason why Jeremiah, he brought those leaders out. He says, let me tell you this. At the beginning of my ministry, King Josiah tore this whole place down. In just a few short years, you built it back up. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the difference between a theocracy and a democracy, or monarchy and a, and a democracy. Everybody in Washington represents who? We the people. If we tolerate it in our land, it's because we tolerate it in our land. And I'll tell you even this, I'll go one step further. We tolerate it in the church where it should not once be named among us. What are we the church sacrificing? The gospel of Jesus. For something that we enjoy. What happens when we reject all God's calls to change? Let's look at verses 6 through 9. He says this, Therefore, look. He's like, pay attention to what I'm about to do. The days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When this place will no longer, longer be Topheth. Literally, a, a place to spit. And Ben-Hinnom Valley but Slaughter Valley. He's like, God's got a new name for this place where we altar, where we sacrifice on the altar to Baal. Verse 7, I will spoil the plans of Judah and Jerusalem in this place. I will make them fall by the sword before their enemies by hand of those who intend to take their life. I will provide their corpses as food for the birds of the sky and for the wild animals of the land. 
I will make this city desolate, an object of scorn. Everyone who passes by it will be appalled and scoff because of all of its wounds. I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters, and they will eat each other's flesh and the distressing siege inflicted on them by their enemies who intend to take their life. God's judgment necessitates a new name for Ben-Hinnom, and he calls it Slaughter Valley. Ben-Hinnom Valley, a garbage place, it already stinks to high heaven, will become an even more grotesque picture. Bodies would pile high for the birds to eat. Gentile nations would ridicule God's city of Jerusalem as it sits in ruins Under the siege, the people who sacrifice their own children will stoop so low to eat them to to stop starvation. What a horrifying, grotesque picture. It should make us shudder. Do you know in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, that it's even worse of a picture for you and I who reject all God's calls to repent? See, Jesus does a name change, so to speak. Jesus, the Son of God, with the authority of God, who gives us the final uh, interpretation of what God is going to do. In His Sermon on the Mount, you can read it in Matthew 5, 22, 29 through 30. You can read it in Mark 9, 43 and Luke 12, 15. Instead of calling it Ben-Hinnom, He calls it Gehenna. Gehenna. It's a transliteration. It's the same thing. And it is Jesus' name for the final place of punishment for the ungodly. We know it in one word. It is hell. Now you say, well, good thing I've never sacrificed to Bell or sacrificed my children because I don't want to participate in Slaughter Valley or hell. You need to go and read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You say, I'm not a murderer. He goes, do you have loathsome lips? Have you ever called someone an idiot or a, mur- a, a, idiot or a moron? He goes, you deserve Gehenna, because you have murder in your heart. You say, I'm not an adulterer. I wouldn't abandon God or my wife or my husband, my spouse. He goes, hey, have you had a lust- lustful look at someone? You fantasize about one? You have an adulterous heart. God sees what's on the inside too. You go, well, well, you know, I only tell white lies, little lies. He goes, God's people are people of the truth. They never lie. Ladies and gentlemen, it takes one word from our lips. Please get this. One word from our lips. One look from our eye. One just half truth. And we're in Ben Hinnom. We're in Gehenna, the lake of fire, the bottomless abyss where the fire never dies. When we reject all God's calls to repentance, listen to what happens, number two. We go to hell. We go to hell. Please listen to me, church. Nobody gets excited about that. We do what the prophet Jeremiah does. What should we do? We shudder at the thought. We shake at the thought. Jeremiah has no glee in seeing 
His people turned into Slaughter Valley. I have no pride, no enjoyment in telling you if you don't turn from your sin and trust Christ alone, the place according to God's word that's reserved for you at the end of your life is everlasting hell. There's no joy in it. And so I beg you, I plead for you, repent and be saved. Sadly, there's more. You say, what gets worse than sacrificing what's most precious? What gets worse than going to hell? Look at verses 10 through 15. He says, then you shatter that jar. <laughs> you notice this? Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah, you take that jar and you shatter that jar in the presence of the people going with you and you're to proclaim to them, this is what the Lord of armies says, I will shatter these people and this city like one shatters a potter's jar that can never again be mended. They will bury the dead in Topheth because there's no other place for burials. This is what I will do to this place. This is the declaration of the Lord and its residents making this city like Topheth, like spit. The houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah will become impure like the place of Topheth. All the houses on whose rooftops they've burned incense to all the stars in the sky and poured out drink offerings to other gods. God's like, oh, by the way, I'm aware of not what only goes on in my temple and in this garbage dump. I know what's happening in your homes. And then notice what Jeremiah does. Verse 14, Jeremiah returned from Topheth where the Lord had sent him to prophesy. He stood in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. He went to the church house, so to speak, and proclaimed to all the people who claim to know God, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, I'm about to bring on this city and all of its cities every disaster that I spoke against it, for they have become obstinate, stubborn, not willing to change. Not obeying my words. With a sudden grand move, Jeremiah lifts that potter's jar and he throws it on the ground. And remember, what's he standing on? Shards of clay. Now I want you just to think about this. I'm not going to shatter it here. <laughs> I shattered it at home. Scotland had fun with me doing this. Just, Just... As I did this and thought about what it meant and signified in this passage, just to hear the sound. Here's what I want you to think about. When he shatters that pot, not only, it's not like here the pot's collected. We might have a chance of gluing it back together. God's, God's sovereign. He didn't do this by accident. He went to the place where there was a ton of other pottery, right? Where was this shattered? Where was it scattered across? All other kinds of jars and pots that had been there. And I almost get this sense. It's like God saying, go ahead, Judah. See if you can put it back together. You reject me. You stay obstinate. You won't listen to my prophets. You refuse to obey. Go ahead. Find them. Find the pieces. Put your life back together. That generation that Jeremiah was prophesying to had forfeited all hope of repentance, reshaping, and reformation. Here's what happens, church, when we reject all God's calls to change and repent. Number three, 
We ruin our lives beyond repair. We ruin our lives beyond repair. Listen to this, and this is what we don't like. We like to hear there's always a chance of redemption. We love that. That's what, let me tell you, you're going to see after this, there's going to be false prophets that, that come up and say, there's a chance, there's a chance. And Jeremiah's looking going, no, there's not, no, there's not. This is a point of no return for them. This is a time when God no longer grants repentance. Think about it, ladies and gentlemen. Think about it. Judgment eventually does come. It eventually does come. It eventually catches up to us. Why why has it not caught up to us already? Because we're good? No, because God's great in patience. He suffers long. And why, why had they become stubborn? Simply because they wouldn't and listen and obey God's word. They refused to listen to the prophets. We've come to a point to concede. We know it all. We're in control. There's nothing else you could tell us that we don't already know. And Jeremiah's sitting there going, well then obey it. Just do what this book is telling you to do. Do what God is telling you to do. And you won't get to a place where your lives are in ruin. It becomes formative. It's, it's, a, it's a preventative thing. Now let's look at verses 21 through 6. Now remember, Jeremiah is back up now in the courtyard of the temple. Pasher, the priest the son of Enmer and the chief official in the temple of the Lord heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. So this is the main man in the courtyard, okay, of the temple. He heard this man run around to him. It's disaster, it's disaster. You've become stubborn, you've become obstinate. You be- your hearts have become hard as this. The only thing God can do is break you. That's it. That's all God's got left. You got me? And Pasher didn't like that message. Hey, I like to preach forgiveness. I like to preach redemption. People will eventually get around. So Pasher, verse 2, had the prophet Jeremiah beaten and put him in stocks at the upper Benjamin gate in the Lord's temple. He literally became a laughing stock for a day. Verse 3, the next day when Pasher released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, I can almost, I don't know if he whispered it. I just see that in my sanctified imagination. But he's like, I got a word for you. Okay. And this is not from Jeremiah's own imagination. This is from the Lord. He said, I've been sitting here thinking and praying. And God told me to tell you something. He says, the Lord does not call you pasture. But terror is on every side. Literally, danger everywhere. When I see you, I see danger. He says, for this is what the Lord says, I am about to make you, Pasher, a terror to both yourself and to those you love. They will fall by the sword of their enemies before your very eyes. I will hand Judah over to the king of Babylon, and he will deport them to Babylon and put them to the sword. I will give away all the wealth of this city, all of its products and valuables. Indeed, I'll hand all the treasures of the kings of Judah over to their enemies. They will plunder them, seize them, and carry them off to Babylon. As for you, Pasher, 
and all who live in your house, you'll go into captivity. You'll be taken out of this temple. You will go to Babylon. There you will die. There you will be buried. Notice this, outside of God's country. And you and all your friends to whom you prophesied lies. Terror is on every side. What happened here? Because Pasher preferred laws to the truth, his good feelings and opinions of himself and his people to God's holy word, God told him, you're going to become a terrorist. Now, when we think of terrorists, we think of a terrorist who attacks foreign places. Listen to this, number four. Here's what happens when we reject God's calls to repentance. Number four, we become a terrorist to ourselves and our loved ones. We become a terrorist to ourselves and to God's loved ones. How have you, think about this with gentleness and respect. I can become a terrorist to myself and a terrorist to my family. Why? When I reject this book. When I refuse to listen and obey this book, and then even worse, when I tell them things that aren't in this book. You get me? When I make promises and truth statements that don't line up with this, I am putting myself and everyone I know in what? Danger. I'm putting you in danger. Brother Ricky, he was praying back there. And I had told him the text for this week in advance. And I just heard his prayer. He says, Lord, help Josh preach Jeremiah and the gospel. (laughs) Because I knew, I knew he's read it right. There's just a holy hush. Where's the hope? That's what we're all waiting for. We're waiting for this to magically get back together, aren't we? In 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes and kicks down the door and they do exactly everything God said. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Jeremiah's audience, the people he spoke to, the kings in Judah at that time, the the chief priest and pastor, they didn't get a second chance. I need you to understand this. God had spoke to them, spoke to them, spoke to them, and finally what happened? Judgment came. But here's what I want you to think about. If, if, if God eliminated all of his people, the, literally, I want you to know this. The book ends, like, the whole Bible ends right here. Can I get a little happy? Because if you know the book like I do, that's a good thing that don't end right here. My leather don't stop here. You catch me? The Bible goes on. In fact, we're promising Jeremiah 33. He says, hey, there's a day coming. God told him this. I'm going to set up a new covenant. And it's going to include all people. And it's going to be paid with the blood. Oh, it's priceless. It's eternal. It's so good, it doesn't just cover or mask sin. It erases sin. It erases them so far, it eradicates them from my mind. I can't ever come to a place of judgment on these people. I will say to one other thing. In that new covenant, I'll give them my spirit, and I can take hard hearts, and I'll make them moldable again. But for them, it's done. But here's what I need you to know. For Jeremiah's audience who'd be reading this book, and all of us today, we do have hope. For that generation, 
It would depend on their response to God's message. And for us, it depends on our response to God's message. Are we going to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or or will we repent today, change our way of thinking and living, and be a part of the new covenant where God forgives our sins, gives us eternal life, and we are no longer condemned? You say, how is God able to do this? This is the good news Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and took our judgment for us. He bore our sins on the cross, spilled His blood, erased our sins, and to prove to you and I that this appeased the wrath of God, that we deserve eternal fire and judgment, God raised Him from the dead and said, In this man's name, preach the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. If you'll turn from your sins and trust Christ alone, you can be saved. I like what King Jesus, the risen Jesus, told the church in Revelation 2, 26-28. He says this, The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end. Did you notice this? People who had already put their personal trust in Jesus, and he says, if you'll stay faithful to me, even in the middle of the worst persecution, listen to what Jesus promises to his people. I will give him, that person, authority over the nations. And notice what happens. He will rule with an iron scepter, and he will shatter them like pottery. And then notice what Jesus said. Just as I have received from the Father. You know where that rod of judgment and correction, where it, where, where it's, whose hand it's in right now? Jesus. And church, he's coming again. And here's the, here's the final thing. You can either be ruled by Jesus or ruined by him. Will he pass that on to you and go, rule with me? Or will he go, it's got to be broken. They've rejected every call to repentance. I need you to know this. Write this down. I'm not saying that God doesn't forgive and he doesn't call, but I do need you to know there comes a day when there is five words, there is no second chance. Because if we really believe that, then on judgment day, you know what would happen? God wouldn't judge sinners. Because he would be a what? A God of a second chance. I need you to know the way that book ends, Revelation 20, it says, hey, we all stand before the great white throne. And what the only hope that I can give you is that on that day, you've you've turned from all your sin, you've turned from trusting in yourself, and you just trust Jesus alone for salvation. That's the only satisfaction that we have. And here's what I'll also, you'll also find, though. When you serve Jesus, when you give your life to Christ, here's some things that I can tell you. While he'll call us to come and die, I've never heard Jesus once tell me to go sacrifice my Scotty. See, he's a good God. Not once, hey, I have no promise of hell in my future. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I died today, I'd spend eternity in heaven with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not saying I've got my life all together, but it's not in shambles. He's keeping me put together. You understand this? And let me tell you this. Every, every word that comes out of this book from his mouth, yeah, sometimes it hurts, but it heals. It's not a danger to me anymore. 
<laughs> it's a source of comfort and delight and joy. That hope, that second chance, so to speak, it's only found in Christ. And when we reject everything to do with Christ, there is no second chance. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.